Science. Science Po. The reason I decided to use my voice today is because I was kept silent for a very long time. But also because I believe I have a powerful story. Powerful story not only in the pain that it shows, but mostly in the hope that it gives. What Keeps You Up at Night is a podcast produced by the Sciences Po Journalism School and the Paris School of International Affairs. Here, we bring you personal stories from political leaders around the world. How do they balance their responsibilities? How do they deal with their doubts? And how do they manage their priorities? With those questions in mind, we want to dive into the hopes and dilemmas that come with being in charge. I am Lola Lopez. And I am Sarah Mianzoni. And this is What Keeps You Up at Night. Omar Al-Shogri, you are a survivor of torture and psychological abuse at the hands of the Assad regime. You were arrested for the first time at 15 years old for participating in a protest during the popular uprising in the 2011 Arab Spring. You survived three years of detention in military prisons between the ages of 17 and 20. After your release, you arrived in Sweden in 2015 as a refugee. In 2020, you were accepted into Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., where you study business and international affairs. You have shared your story and called for legal action in front of the Security Council at the United Nations, European institutions, and the U.S. Congress, among others. Welcome to our studios at Sciences Po Journalism School. So, Omar, you're 27 years old, you are a human rights advocate, and you have directly experienced the sufferings that you are now denouncing. How did you come to be an activist in the first place? When did this commitment start for you? First thing first, I don't call myself an activist because I did not choose in a way to be that. Rather, I am a person who went through something brutal, and I believe it's wrong and it should not exist. So I do what I can do to make sure it does not exist. And the battle is very long. It's going to take a long time. But I am a regular human um, who believes certain things can be changed and must be changed. So I'm doing that. So you do not need to be activist to do my work. So I speak up. I use my, my voice. I use my story to bring value. And this value is saving the lives of innocent people. When did you first have this realization that you could use your voice to save lives? Because in the last seven years of public speaking, I have realized you do not get people's engagement by showing them how brutal the world is. You get their engagement by showing them how hopeful the world could be if we do small actions to the brutal things that are happening. So when I talk to people about my experience in prison, I mention the brutality that I went through, but it's not my focus. Because the first reaction of people when they hear about atrocities or crimes, they would say, oh, I can't even imagine that. I cannot relate. And then it becomes at some point a feeling of guilt. When you know that you are privileged, you feel guilty, you start blaming yourself, and you become inactive participant in this world. And that's nothing we want. We want every member to be an active participant, to have a role, uh, to try to drive change. 
So when I do public speaking, what I try to do is to actually inspire hope. Give, I make jokes when I talk about the worst things that I went through. You know, I make jokes because people sometimes cannot absorb all this pain that I can share. So I need to give them a laugh, a break, a moment of silence so they can absorb everything I said to them. You mentioned the whispers um, of speaking with other inmates. Um, is it something that it's still with you sometimes at night? Do you find yourself hearing these whispers over and over again? In your cell, you are not allowed to speak. And if they hear you speaking, they torture you. But you could whisper. And that became very interesting. Because when you whisper for the first time, and when someone else whispers in your ear, you realize with whispers you listen. You do not just hear and ignore. You listen. You actively listening. So you learn from everything you hear. Those whispers, it's true that they came in the most difficult time in my life, but at the same time, they were the most useful thing that happened in my life. And I would lie to you if I say that those whispers are not still active in my life. Uh, in, a, in a way or another, I can still hear them. So when somebody dies physically, you want to keep them alive mentally. And the way you do that is by remembering their words and their lifestyle. One of the people that inspired me the most in my life was my cousin Bashir. Bashir was my best friend, my cousin. We built the first greenhouse together. We tamed birds together. We bought a motorcycle together. We have so many beautiful memories. Do you sometimes dream about these people who were important for you? Do you sometimes dream still about Bashir? I remember when I get out of prison. During prison and after prison, I would see nightmares. And these nightmares would be the guards following me, running behind me. They're going to shoot me. They're going to execute me. They're going to kill me. And as I was running as fast as I could in my nightmare, in one of the rooms, I saw Bashir. And then the rest of the time when I was running, after seeing him for a second in that dream, after seeing his face, the rest of the running, I had no fear. I was just running. Right? And when I woke up, I had a perfect memory of that dream. The most significant thing that his existence in my nightmare has erased the nightmare, replaced it with a dream. So I thought about it the whole day. And when you think about something for too much, you see it in your dreams. And then I start to implement the same strategy to some other to see other people that I love, that I care about, that I lost. I lost my father. I lost my brothers in in, in the war. So I tried to use the same strategy in, in order to try to find them in my dreams. Would you say that the night, even today, is some a moment that you look forward to because you feel that this is the moment when you will be able to revisit the people that you love? I'm not afraid from the nights. I find them very beautiful. I find them peaceful, despite the very clear connection between night and prison, the darkness that existed in the three years I spent under the ground and the night when you turn the lights off. Despite that, I still feel comfortable uh, in being in a dark place in my bed. Um, because prison is what made me who I am today. Prison has have been a very challenging thing, of course, but also it has been um, it has been the experience that turned me to a person that I can be proud of. I can present 
myself to the world with pride. How do you deal with the frustrations of seeing that things sometimes don't go as planned? What is the benefit of frustration? Zero. It may lead to bad things. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong to be frustrated. I get angry. You have no idea how angry I can get from time to time. But because anger sometimes it's good, it gives you energy. It gives you a lot of energy. And so last time I was very mad, it was at the UN Security Council last year. And I lost it. And I said to them all the F word. That was so well-deserved. You have no idea how scared I was when I said it. But you have no idea how right it was to do it. I don't use ugly words. I don't use it in my language. But sometimes these things need to be said. Um, and I know that I was criticized for using such word at the U.S. Security Council instead of being diplomatic and so on. I've been diplomatic for so many years. Show me what that done, especially in the U.S. Security Council. Very little. So sometimes you have to try different things. And sometimes anger is a solution. Your anger sometimes is necessary. And you should not avoid it. To be polite. Anger is a driving force. You're listening to What Keeps You Up at Night with Omar Al-Shogri. There are many things that keep me up at night. And the most important thing is, of course, related to ladies. Uh, I fall in love very quickly. I, I, I was like that since I was a kid. I remember myself falling in love when I was 13 years old. And I could not study. I could not eat. I could not hang out with family. I could not do anything. I was thinking about her all the time. She was keeping me up at day and at night. That was just consuming everything power I had. And then I learned that her father was the principal of the school, so I really had to study. <laughs> Because otherwise, if he discovers that I love his daughter, I'm a bad student at the same time, he won't be happy about it. But the other things that keep me up at night is the fact that I went through three years of torture. And then I'm here, sitting in front of you, in Paris, enjoying my life. Sometimes it's very interesting to think about it. You know, it's weird. It's weird from different perspectives. It's very weird from the physical perspective. How could my body go through three years of torture and I can still stand? I can still go to party and dance. I can still feel and think like a regular human. I can, after three years of torture and trauma and seeing the brutality of a human I can fall in love with almost every lady I see. You see, it's crazy to think about it. How your brain is able to adjust, to accept, to be so flexible, to give you the best possible life you could have. You spent three years of prison between the age of 17 and 20. How did your nights change from the first one to the last one before you became free? When I was taken out of prison, I was not taken to freedom. I was taken to execution. They put me in a room for 48 hours every single hour. They open the small window in the door and they tell me, how do you want me to kill you? And you were forced to give answers, creative answers, new ways of killing a human. And every time I give them an answer, I imagine them killing me the way I'm telling them to kill me with. 48 hours passed and they take me to execution. They put me on the street 
somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I can't see because I was blindfolded and I had my chains in my hands. And load and boom! And I died. The first time in my life. I never died before. It's my first time. I didn't know what happens when you die. None of my friends who died, Bashir, when he died, he didn't come back and tell me how it feels when you die, what happens when you die. I make it. Suddenly I'm alive. They did the mock execution uh, to scare me, to terrorize me, to make me fear life uh, and believe that I died. And when I learned why they did that, it's to break me mentally. That's when I decided I really need to be very strong mentally because I wouldn't enjoy the thought of my enemy who is guilty, a brutal enemy winning over me, even mentally. So I decided to enjoy my life as much as I can, have a good use of my life, and be as successful as I can. Because that's at least the minimum I can do to win the war I have against the brutal regime in Syria. Thank you for sharing your insights with us, Mr. Al-Shogri. And to our listeners, thank you for being with us. We hope you'll join us next time. If you've liked this episode, feel free to leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts from, to access all new episodes. Until then, take care and sleep well.